So we're going through uh, a study on landmarks and along the path of life. And these are just things that, uh, through my study of Proverbs, that I've seen that I think uh, would be essential for any of us to understand. Uh, whether you're young or old, just getting started, or you've been walking with the Lord for quite some time, I think all of these things are, are just simply good for us to know. And I think last week we talked about uh, what I considered the key verse for the book of Proverbs, or at least uh, the key verses for our study. And that's Proverbs chapter 9, uh, verses 10 through 12, that says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. For by me thy days shall be multiplied, and the years of thy life shall be increased. If thou be wise, thou shalt be wise for thyself, but if thou scornest, thou alone shalt bear it. So, like I said, I I believe this is uh, the key verse of the book of Proverbs. And I spoke a little bit about it, and really, chiefly the reason why I think this is the key verse is because of three words. Because anybody give me uh, 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 what those three words might be? Any guesses? You don't have to guess, you just need to read it. There you go. Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. You know, uh, before there was um, GPS, when you had to navigate out on the oceans, uh, they needed at least three things. They needed uh, something to um, uh, measure the angle of the stars to the horizon, so they use a sextant. And then they needed a, a reliable timepiece, so they could, you know, uh, do their calculations. And charts. They needed good, reliable, up-to-date charts. Well, that's what wisdom, knowledge, and understanding is for us. It helps us to navigate our way through this life because this life has got smooth water and rough water. It's got rocky places and sandy beaches. You know, so we need the, we need that uh, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. And so um, what we're going to look at is uh, the very first word is wisdom. We're going to look at the very first word, uh, wisdom. Turn to James chapter 3. Now, I refer to uh, James chapter 3 a couple of times. And what James talks about here in James chapter 3 is that there are two kinds of wisdom. Uh, Two kinds of wisdom that we are going to be faced with in this life here on earth as we travel on to our true home in heaven. And James uh, points them out that there's the, there's the wisdom that is, that is from below, and then there's that wisdom that is from above. So that wisdom that is from below, if you, if you read about that wisdom that is from below, uh, what does it say there? If somebody's there, go ahead and read it. James chapter 3, verse 15. Well, keep going. Uh, for where envy and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. All right, so that wisdom right there is uh, definitely the kind of wisdom you want to pursue, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you like lots of drama in your life, that's the way to go. <laughs> yeah, that's the way to go. But no, that's not, that's not a good wisdom, is it? That's not, but yet that's the wisdom that the majority of this planet operates from. And then you've got the next wisdom, the wisdom that's from above, and that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at that wisdom from above. So what is wisdom? I've read so many different definitions of wisdom, 
And uh, some of them are quite convoluted and pretty sophisticated. But I like things simple. I just do. I'm, I'm a simple guy. I like things simple. Wisdom is simply that ability to know how to make clear decision, clever decisions based upon the knowledge one possesses. Clever decisions. That ability to make clever decisions based upon the knowledge one possesses. Now, the word clever is a good word. It's a good word. Uh, somebody who's clever about putting engines together. You want somebody who's clever. You want somebody who, who knows how to look at a piece of equipment and figure out what's going on with it. I had a mechanic at work that was that way. We worked on this packaging line that was like 100 yards long. But this guy was really smart when it came to equipment because what he would do, he was clever. Because what he would do is he would go to the point of the problem and he would trace it back to its source. And then he would fix it at the source of the problem. Yes, ma'am. Well, do you have like a definition of clever? Because when I hear clever, I think Yeah, yeah. There's a good clever and there's a bad clever. And that's, that's the same thing. There's a good wisdom. And there's a bad wisdom. There's a good clever and there's a bad clever. There's a good, um, you know, knowledge and a bad wisdom. There's always two sides to the coin. Always, unfortunately, with the world's wisdom, they always try to put that negative slant on things, that negative spin. And I use the word clever because that's what we have to be. What did Jesus say? He said, be wise as serpents, right, but as innocent as doves. And the serpent was pretty clever. He's pretty clever. So, if you go through the book of Proverbs, you're going to read words like subtlety. Sometimes that word subtlety has a negative context. And then you read words like prudent or prudence. I knew a girl named Prudence one time. I had no idea what the name meant at the time. I thought it was a weird name. But these are synonyms of wisdom. Proverbs 14.8. The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way. The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way. But the folly of fools is deceit. So the prudent, he operates from the wisdom that's from above. And the foolish operates from the wisdom that's below. Deceitful wisdom. Right? To understand his way is just another way of saying to gather all the information, all the facts, all the details in order to make a prudent or informed or clever decision. A prudent man is generally not necessarily a hasty man. Usually that's what gets me in trouble. I'm hasty. I don't stop and wait a minute, let's, let's think about this. But a prudent man is someone who will think through or think about it. A prudent woman is someone that will stop, don't let the emotions take over and start thinking about what's going on. We need this kind of wisdom. Because there's so much stuff being thrown at us in this life that is designed to work you up emotionally, to get you to act irrationally. There's a lot of that information out there that's just designed to do that. 
Uh, James 1.5, anybody want to take a stab at what that says? James 1.5? Alright, so who in here lacks wisdom? Okay, hopefully everybody's hands would be... Yeah, everybody in here lacks wisdom. We all do. Now, is wisdom something that, oh my, you know, where am I going to find it? Where am I? No, you pray for it. And God's got a lot of wisdom He wants to give you. But what happens is you ask not and you receive not. So you have to ask for this wisdom. A prudent person, a clever person, a wise person would do what? Pray for that wisdom, right? Pray for that wisdom. Pray for that wisdom. Now, something else about wisdom. Uh, You don't necessarily have to be intelligent to be wise. You don't have to be intelligent to be wise. What was that, JB? Yeah, that is good. That's very good. Proverbs 26.12 says, uh, seest thou a man wise in his own conceits? There is more hope of a fool than of him. I know a lot of smart people who are very wise, are very, you know, conceited about their knowledge, but they do some really stupid things. They really do, I know I told you the story about the guy with the heating station, Intelligent man, highly educated man, he saw this sign on this heating station that says, caution, do not touch, extremely hot. You know, it was like 400 degrees Fahrenheit. You know what this intelligent, highly educated man did? He put his thumb right on that station. It sounded like a hamburger on the grill. Not very wise. In fact, wisdom is so important that if you read the first um, ten chapters of Proverbs, uh, you'll discover that wisdom is the primary topic. Time and time and time again, it speaks about wisdom. Now, if God devotes ten chapters on wisdom, what does that say? It's pretty important. Pretty important. Proverbs 4 7. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom with all thy getting, get understanding. Principle, the principal thing. What is the principal thing? Yeah, chief. That's the choice parts. That's the filet mignon of the cuts of meat. Right? It's choice, it's the best. So that's what we're after. That's what we want. We want the best. And so we pray for the best. In my studies of Proverbs, I, I do this. You don't have to do this, but I do this because it's just the way I am. I looked up in my Strong's Concordance, and the writer of Proverbs uses eight different words that we, that's translated as wisdom. Eight different words. So that tells me there's a lot of different facets or avenues in regards to wisdom. And that is, that is totally the Hebrew mind. 
right? Because we in the Western world, we think linear. The Hebrew mind thinks circular. You know, they, they bring in all these different things. They look at it from all different angles and ways. and like taking a diamond and just turning it around and letting all those individual facets reflect the light. That's the way wisdom is. There's a lot of different facets to wisdom. Some of the words you're going to find is skilled, shrewd. Today that's kind of got a negative connotation, right? Skilled, shrewd, discerning, circumspect. That's a $10 word. Uh, Those who are considered wise possess sound knowledge that makes them successful. Uh, Possessing insight, understanding, being clever. All these things are different facets of this gem, wisdom. Yes, Ron? Cunning. Huh? Cunning. Cunning. Yes, that's another word. Cunning. See, again, that has a negative connotation to it, but not necessarily so. But your eye, the son of Bethlehem, was uh, God put in his heart wisdom, and the, the, the work of the curtains was supposed to be made of cunning work. Exactly. So, what are we talking about? We're talking about a tradesman there that knows his craft well, aren't we? So, that's cunning. So, that's a good thing. It's a good thing. I find this also interesting. And so don't you gals get a big head over this. But in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is personified as a woman. Now, there's a reason for that. There's the, there it is. <laughs> you're like you're like Ten pages ahead of me here. That's all right. But that's good. That's good because that's exactly where we're tracking. Uh, In Proverbs chapter 9, that's exactly how wisdom is portrayed. As as a woman. As a woman. And this woman, this this wisdom is calling out. Proverbs 9, 4. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. As for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, Come, eat of my bread, and drink of the wine which I have mingled. Bread, the word of God, wine is a picture of the Holy Spirit. So wisdom is calling people, come into my house, and dine with me, and sup with me. You know, this brings to mind an old radio Bible program. I I used to work up at the airport. And it was an hour drive both ways. And so when I would drive home from work, I would uh, turn on the radio and I would find a, a Bible teacher on the radio. And I don't know about you guys, but back then, there were a lot of good Bible teachers on the radio. I mean, there was a variety of Bible teachers on the radio. And there was this one particular guy, I don't know, Mark, if you might remember him, but there was this one particular Bible teacher on the radio, and he would, he had a little section called the Table Talk. And what he would do is he would invite his Christian listeners to come to the table with him and feast on the Word of God. That's what this woman here is, is talking about here. Come feast at my table and be fed. 
good wholesome food. I mean, in our fast food society, uh, we go through a drive-thru, we grab a quick meal, and off we go. And all it does is make you fat. (laughs) Right? But so many of God's people treat God's word that very same way. They come in Sunday, give me a quick bite to get me all jazzed up, and that's it. That's all they do. They don't take time to go home and read the Bible for themselves. They don't go home and pray over what they've read. They don't do any of that. Because they treat church like McDonald's drive through window. And that's all the exposure they have. Yes, Mark? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. And I catch myself so involved in putting a lesson together that I miss, I miss the blessing. You know? It, it, it happens to all of us. It happens to all of us. That's why discipleship is such an incredible thing. Because yep. the time we spent with Carol, Carol and Tammy, they would come on Saturday morning and we'd just sit around our table and fellowship over the word. Yep. And I was so sad. Yeah. Yeah. That's, good. that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a wonderful point. So, uh, getting back to Proverbs, all of that is good. And I'm glad to hear you guys saying this stuff. Because you're tracking, as, as Brian would say. What does he say? Are you tracking with me? Uh, Proverbs 9.1, again going back to Proverbs 9.1, I know I told you to go to James, but we'll get there. Sometime. James 9.1 says, Wisdom hath builded her house, she hath hewn out her seven pillars now what is a pillar for huh amen very good you get a gold star pillars are for supporting a structure holding something up holding something out in this case a house when I uh, lived in Athens Greece and that we I, we'd see all of these um, old Greek temples they all had these pillars that would support them I drove right by the Acropolis every day going to school and that that was one of the the features of this thing sitting up on the hill was these pillars these pillars are there to support now I'm thinking when uh, Solomon under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when he wrote this down did he have in mind the pillars around the temple you know, because the temple had these pillars made out of these huge cedar trees. And I think some of them were even covered in gold. And then you had the two big bronze pillars that flanked the gates. So I'm thinking this, maybe this is what he had in mind, these, these pillars, these support systems. And it says here that wisdom has hewn out these seven pillars. Now, the word hewn... What does that sound like? There you go. That nasty word, work. So what does that tell me? I not only have to pray for wisdom, but I have to study to show myself approved, don't I? I've got to work for it. I've got to work for it. And honestly, God's done all the heavy labor for us. He has. He's done all the heavy labor for us. 
He's done all the work for us. Kind of like the builders of the temple. They did all the work on the outside and then they brought it in and set it up. All we got to do is check it out. Look at it. Study it. The word seven. Now I know there's some folks that say seven means completion. Uh, Seven means uh, spiritual perfection. I'll go with either one. I'll go with either one. Uh, Genesis chapter 2 verses 1 through 3, that's when God ended, you know, uh, putting everything back together. On the seventh day after he was done, putting everything back together, he rested. He rested. And he blessed that seventh day. He blessed that seven day. Uh, So it was complete. It was done. It was finished. And what did he say? It looked good. It looked good. Right? Um, These seven things, these seven pillars, are complete. And they're spiritually perfect. And they contribute to your perfection. Now, what is perfection in the Bible? You've heard me tell you what that is. What is perfection? Does it mean you're sinless and flawless? No, it means you're grown up. You're mature. You're a big boy and a big girl. That's what God wants to fellowship with. He loves his children. He loves his babes. But he wants to fellowship with mature, grown-up believers. When he called the 12, he didn't call 12 six-year-olds, did he? Now, spiritually, they may have been six-year-olds. But he brought them to a place where they matured. That's where he wants to bring all of us. And a part of that is wisdom. Wisdom. Okay, back to James. Back to James. James chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. We see the two kinds of wisdom. We've got uh, the wisdom that descendeth not from above, and then we've got the wisdom that is from above. In classic Hebrew fashion, James, just like in Proverbs, is teaching by comparisons right here's this compared to this we read that in Proverbs all the time the prudent and the foolish right the lazy and and the industrious All, all these comparisons it says here that the this first wisdom is earthly sensual devilish And it's this kind of wisdom that results in envying and strife and confusion and every evil work. So one could say that this is fallen wisdom. Fallen wisdom. Now, um, we know God is sovereign and sits on the throne. But as far as this world is concerned, who's running the show? The devil. So his wisdom is a fallen wisdom. 
And that's pretty much how this world operates. It operates from a fallen wisdom. That's why we're in the mess we're in. And I'm telling you what, we're getting a pretty good dose of that fallen wisdom in our own nation today. We really are. Things are so topsy-turvy. And then we have this wisdom that is from above. And this wisdom from above is so much superior than this wisdom, this fallen wisdom. And so that's the wisdom that we want. That's the seven pillars that we wanted to establish in our life. So what about these seven pillars that Proverbs chapter 9 talks about? What are they? Where can we find them? Well, when you compare Scripture with Scripture, I think you find your seven pillars right here in James chapter 3. James chapter 3. James chapter 3, verse 17, but the wisdom that is from is first, one, pure, two, peaceable, three, gentle, four, easy to be entreated, five, full of mercy, six, good fruits, uh, uh, without partiality and without hypocrisy. So is that seven or eight? Eight. All right, so I messed up. I'm going to give you an extra, I'm going to give you an extra pillar. So here are these pillars. Here are these pillars that wisdom has built her house on. The first one is purity. Purity. Compared to the other one that's sensual and devilish and earthly. So purity. Purity, if you look in Proverbs, purity is one of those things that it stresses. Okay? Purity is one of those things that it stresses. But what exactly is the purity that it stresses? What exactly is the purity that it stresses? Well, I think it was Candace that said it. To keep this young man from who? The strange woman. I've met a lot of strange women. But the strange woman here is a little different from those that I've met. What is this strange woman? Proverbs 2.16 and verse 2.18. It says here, To deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the stranger which flattereth with her words, which forsaketh the guide of her youth, and forgetteth the covenant of her God, for her house... In comparison to the wisdom's house, her house inclineth unto death, and her paths unto the dead. Now, time and time again, you're going to read in Proverbs a warning about this strange woman who seeks to beguile the youth away from God into her clutches, into her house, which leads to, to a path of darkness and death. And we talked about that path, didn't we? The two paths. There's a path of light and then there's a path of darkness. Well, this gal is all about the path of darkness. Another passage is found in Proverbs 5, 3 through 6. For the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb. Her mouth is smoother than oil, but her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps take hold on hell. Least thou shouldst ponder the path of her life. Her ways are movable that thou canst not know them. Now this is interesting to me. That's Proverbs chapter 5, yeah, 5, 3 through 6. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, flipped it around. Now, the interesting thing about this is uh, if, you're, if you're at all familiar with Solomon's life, he started out good, didn't he? But what happened? What happened to Solomon? Strange women. Right. But what was it about these strange women? 1 Kings 11, verses 1 uh, through 4. But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will what? Turn away your heart after their little g gods. And that's exactly what happened. That's what happened with Solomon. He was turned away. Verse 4 says, For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father. Now I believe Solomon, toward the end of his life, like the prodigal son, came back to, to the Lord. And I believe that Ecclesiastes is the testimonial of that. But he did get drawn away from God because of these strange woman, women. So I propose that this strange woman spoken of in Proverbs is more than just a loose woman. I believe she personifies um, the great harlot of Revelations. Uh, that false religion uh, that's out there, that, that religion with its earthly, sensual, and devilish wisdom. It's that false religion that... Uh, notice the language here in Proverbs 5. Honeycomb, oil, sharp as a two-edged sword. Hmm, where have I read that one? All of these things are also used to speak of what? The word of God. So that tells me that this this strange woman has her own book, doesn't she? And this is where she's really clever in a negative sense. She'll take this book to teach her falsehood. She'll take this book to teach her falsehood. You know, this was the admonition that Paul had given to Timothy. In 1 Timothy 4.11, he says, These things command and teach. He says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come... Give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, which with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. He says, meditate upon these things. What things? The wisdom that's from above. 
Meditate on these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. He says, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Now, does that mean that Timothy could lose his salvation? No, I don't think that's what it's talking about. That's not what it's talking about. What he's talking about is save yourself from the wisdom that comes from below. That's what he's talking about. And he's also talking about people out there who are listening to this wisdom that is from below. All those other different gospels being preached... When you preach the truth, what you're doing is is you're saving them from that mess that's out there. Uh, 1 Timothy 4, 11 through 16. There are folks out there who are promoting false doctrine. Is this true or false? Yeah, it's true. And there are people out there that are so confused, they don't know which is right from wrong. Huh? Every lie has some truth. It sure does. It sure does. And that's the danger. That's the risk of, the, of, the, of that doctrine. I had a, had a thought, and it ran down the, hall, down the hallway. Sorry. That's okay. But that's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. And I, I remember now what it was. I've said this so many times. One of the things that the modern church today lacks is the ability to discern between what is right, what is wrong, what is truth, and what is a lie. And if you don't believe me, listen to contemporary Christian uh, radio or music. Yes, ma'am. Well, I heard that discernment is really being able to tell what's truth and almost truth, more so than right and wrong. Okay. Okay. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, it's that ability to make that important distinction yeah the apostle Peter also gave warning in his last epistle just before he was um, to be executed by Nero and this also like with the apostle Paul this also was very heavy on his heart he said in 2 Peter 2 1 he says but there were false prophets also among the people even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction, and many shall follow their pernicious or destructive destructive ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Boy, if that isn't true today, the truth is being evil spoken of. If you tell somebody that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father, oh boy. Oh boy. So God's wisdom is pure. It's wholesome. It has a cleansing effect upon the life. Where there's purity of doctrine... Consequently, there will be purity of life. When there is corruption in doctrine, there will be corruption in the life. 
Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with what? The washing of the water by the word. Yeah, yeah, it really does. Yeah, you're being intolerant. You're being unloving. You know, I had a preacher one time said, if you love them, you'll tell them the truth. Yeah, the truth sometimes does sound hard. But it's the truth. And it's meant, it's meant to bring about repentance in life. Yep, yep. So the first pillar is the pillar of pure doctrine. Because remember, we're talking about the wisdom that comes from above and the wisdom that comes from below. So purity of doctrine. Purity of doctrine. Proverbs 30, verse 5. Every word of God is corrupted. No, it's pure. Pure. Purified seven times. Pure. Uh, The next one is... um, Whoops, let me get back to James. It's peaceable. So you've got pure, and then you've got peaceable. James, that's in the New Testament, right? Yep, peaceable. So where impure doctrine exists, what do we've got? Strife, envy, (laughs) evil work. Is there peace in that? No. No, there's not peace in that. Where there's pure doctrine, there's peace. Remember what uh, Paul said to the uh, Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3? He said in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 4, he says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. He says, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife, and divisions, where have we read that? So what wisdom are they operating from? Yeah. Are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Paul. So are ye not carnal? You know what's going on there? Well, I like Apollos' teaching better than Paul's teaching. Or I like Paul's style better than Apollos. Man, don't we have that in the church today? Yeah, one guy might be able to preach better. One guy might be a better teacher. But we're all preaching the same thing. We're all teaching the same thing. And as long as we're on the same page, that's what that worldly wisdom likes to do. It likes to cause that division. And the devil has been very successful in causing division right along this line. Because that's what he wants to do. He doesn't want unity in the church. He wants to break it up. What is that? Conquer and divide, uh, divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. The wisdom that comes from above promotes peace and unity. Brings about blessing and, and fruitfulness. 
Proverbs 3.17, it says, Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. Uh, She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is everyone that retaineth her. Peace, pleasantness. When did strife and conflict... When was that first introduced into humanity? Anybody want to take a guess at that? When was it introduced? Oh, come on. You guys know this? Let me, let me give you a clue. It was introduced with asking a question. Huh? Yeah. What did he say? Yeah. Yea, hath God said... So what, what was she attack? What was he attacking? Yeah, God's word, God's truth, God's character. He started introducing strife and envy, wasn't he? That's where it started, and it's gotten worse. On that day, man exchanged God's wisdom for that wisdom that was from below. And it hasn't worked ever since. It hasn't worked ever since. You know, I, this uh, phrase, tree of life, that's mentioned three more times in Proverbs. i got to look at the clock. <laughs> I can tell I'm not going to get through this. But three more times in the book of Proverbs, it's mentioned. Uh, go to Proverbs 11.30. Proverbs 11.30. And uh, when somebody arrives there, uh, go ahead and read it out, out loud. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Okay. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Isn't that wild to read about winning souls in the Old Testament? That's what they were supposed to be doing, just like us today. Hasn't changed, nothing new under the sun. But anyway, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Now, I can't speak for you guys, but sometimes, you know what, I don't um, feel or behave very righteous. But I do know someone who is the true righteous fruit on that tree. First Peter two twenty four, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. That's the righteous fruit on that tree. Because of Jesus Christ, now in God's eyes, I stand righteous before God. It's nothing in me. It's nothing that I could have ever done or said. It's because of Jesus Christ that I'm righteous before God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he hath made him to be sin for us. Put your name there if you believe in Jesus. Or no, put your name there if you don't believe in Jesus. Who knew no sin that we might be made what? The righteousness of God in him in him 
You know what that tells me? That tells me I better not become self-righteous. Because there is no good thing in me. I mean, if the Apostle Paul said that, who am I? (laughs) You know? Who am I? But Christ who liveth in me, in the person of the Holy Spirit, he's what makes me righteous before God. That's why I'm righteous. That's why I'm righteous. I love this. This is, this is one of the first verses I ever memorized. Romans 5.1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. I don't stand on my own righteousness. I stand on the grace of God. Because that's the only sure ground any of us have. Any of us have. Now the wisdom that comes from below, it tells us that we must earn our peace with God, doesn't it? We gotta work for it. We gotta somehow get ourselves in a good place with our good works and our good thoughts, and only then will we know peace with God. Is that true? There's a lot of people out there still trying to do it. A lot of people out there still trying to do it. A lot of people who are enslaved to this wisdom down below. I know poor people in Mexico who crawl on their knees up these steps until they're bloody and raw. Why? Because they think in doing so that they're going to win peace with God. And it doesn't have to be necessarily, you know, the God that we know. There's pagans out there that do the same thing. Hindus that do the same thing. Uh, Islam does the same thing. Because they're all operating from this wisdom that's from below. You've got to work your way to experience peace with God. The only peace that they're ever going to have or we're ever going to have is through Jesus Christ. Is that true or false? Come on, people. All right. I was getting worried there. (laughs) Proverbs 13.12. Turn to Proverbs 13.12. Another time this tree of life is mentioned. Somebody there, go ahead and read it. You know, I look out on this world and I see a lot of folks with no hope. It's as if uh, the fear mongers of the world are intentionally keeping people in this perpetual state of hopelessness. And it's funny too because they also offer them a false hope out of one side of their mouth, but at the same time saying this false hope really isn't going to help. <laughs> uh, don't wear just one mask, wear 15. I didn't mean to go that way. You know, my hope does not reside in a politician or a program or a particular party. My hope resides in a person. Person. 
Titus 2.11-13 through 13 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldliness lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's my hope. What's your hope? What's your hope? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I hope your I hope your hope. <laughs> I hope your hope is in Jesus Christ and his return. Do you believe he's coming back someday? Yeah. I believe one of these days we're going to hear the trumpet and we're going to be gowned up like a bride and we're going to be before him in glory. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to that. The anchor of our hope. Yep. 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 Yeah, anchor of our souls. Um, You know, this proverb says, Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. Uh, The word deferred uh, means to be postponed or put off. Now, here's the beauty of knowing Jesus Christ is your Savior. Yes, our hope is in his return. But do you realize that you can have this hope even now, today? So it's not deferred. It's not postponed. 2 Corinthians 5.1 For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in heavens, for in this we groan earthly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. Boy, every morning I experience that. Not for that we should be that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also given unto us the earnest of the Spirit, or down payment, or whatever you want to call that. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent with the Lord. Uh, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, willing rather be absent from the body, be present with the Lord. I read that because I'm going to tell you this. That's a reality right now, folks. That's a reality right now. You have that hope. You have that hope. God forbid, if you're on your way home, something happens on the highway, you're going to be with him. You've got that hope right now. It's not deferred. It's not postponed. You've got that hope right now. Christ is our hope. It's not a postponed hope. It's not a postponed hope. Muhammad is dead. Joseph Smith is dead. Gandhi is dead. Buddha is dead. Jesus Christ is alive. And so are you. So are you. So it's not hope deferred. Okay, one more. (laughs) This is probably going to be where I'm going to stop. Proverbs 15.4. 
Proverbs 15, 4. You know the routine. Alright. There are some who are preaching another gospel. There are some who are perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ and for their own personal gain. For their own personal gain. Jude says that these are trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Twice dead. <laughs> twice dead. They're, phys- they're physically dead and they're spiritually dead. Twice dead. And they're going to experience the second death. Rithered fruit is rotten fruit. Rotten, corrupt, smelly fruit. It is. If you know the truth and you hear somebody out there preaching that smelly fruit, you can, you can smell it, hopefully. The fellow down in Texas. He's a pretty smelly guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what wisdom is he preaching? What wisdom is he preaching? You see, the false preachers don't have anything to offer you guys. They're dried up from the roots. Oh, they look good. They sound good. But they got rotten fruit. Rotten fruit. The Apostle Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.13, he says, Hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. See, that's the thing with this worldly wisdom. It's so attractive. It sounds so right. It's so appealing to the sensual and the earthly. But it's devilish. It's devilish. This is why we need this wisdom from above. So we can discern the truth from the half-truth, as Leslie pointed out. Did I get your name right? Woohoo! I told Diane, I gotta stop calling her Ish. So the wisdom that comes from above, it promotes peace and unity and blessing. You know where where um, the you know when I have experienced schisms in the church, you know what it usually stems from, besides somebody's pride. Disagreement over what this says. And nine times out of ten, it's because somebody is so prideful that they're unwilling to admit, you know what? Looking at this again, I think you're right. They're so prideful. So prideful. So, wisdom from above is pure and promotes peace. And that's where I'm going to have to stop. Any comments or questions? Good, because I wasn't going to entertain them. (laughs) 
None? Okay. Mitchell, can I call on you to close us out in prayer? Dear God, thank you for the time that you give us to study your word and 